International. believer that Ethan doesn't cut anything because he, every episode has at least one part where we go no he's gonna like let, let's go ahead and edit that and it's, it's, not, it's in there it's, it's, I trust you not it's raw all. it's real it's unfiltered like uh, honey uh, honey unfiltered honey that one like 100% pure Texas honey if you're wondering who that wonderful <laughs> voice you're hearing by the way welcome everybody to Extra Salty this welcome is our podcast back. as always I'm Jazz and Ellis I'm Kai Krebs and today we are joined in the studio with by Karina Magyar super excited to have you hi woohoo hey <laughs> <laughs> woohoo woohoo I am really excited to have you in here. You're one of my favorite comics in the scene. Just super, super, just one of my favorite comics, period. Like, you're really, really funny. You're amazing. And I'm super excited to talk to you. So thanks for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I I, I mean, I remember you told us uh, that you had a a little bit of a story for us about uh, Mm. actually what brought you here to Austin and Mm. into our little comedy community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because this is a podcast about resentment, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. We dig deep. We get yeah. into that, the bitchiest of the bitchy. I think given that this is a workplace story and given that that workplace has sold and that nobody I used to work with still works there, I'm ready to like oh, shit. spill it. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is like your OJ memoir. Like if I This did is it. your what happened. I didn't kill anybody. Okay. <laughs> but it's I like really didn't. The statue of limitations are up so you can say whatever you want. Right, and I also need to cash in on this. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> there's time. I have debts. Um, Their lawyers are not on retainer anymore for those NDR, NDAs to even mean anything. <laughs> Whatever. I can't afford a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, yeah, you just want to jump right in, like just naked style, like just just get n- naked. S- skinny, skinny dip into the story. Just get naked and just dive off a cliff into the cold water. <laughs> yeah, we can do that. Okay, um... <laughs> No, because, okay, so I'm sure everybody knows this at some point now, if you know me, um, that this isn't my first career uh, amateur non-paying stand-up comedy. (laughs) Before this, I was a magazine journalist and then editor for almost 20 years. Um, And so that's what brought me here is I was bouncing around. I bounced my way up from working on little zines in Denver uh, to paying zines to alternative weeklies. And then like I went off to Australia to get a degree in it. And I came back and worked at alternative weeklies in California. And the problem with California is that you run out of money yeah, real mm-hmm. fast. Um, especially when you're working at alternative weeklies as a magazine editor. I was wondering how much that paid. Not much at all um so (laughs) like yeah i thought you were actually sorry you were gesturing something else for sound i I thought you were gesturing how much it paid like little tiny no little little just a little just a little tweak i feel like i sound muffled am i better 
No, you're fine. Okay. Do you need to sniffle? I did. Maybe that's what it was. Should we all sniffle together so I'm not the only one who's being unprofessional? Extra sniffle. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be unprofessional. I'm sorry. I'm so no, sorry. I'm the one being unprofessional. <laughs> I'm the sniffler. Oh, it's okay. Mm. Isn't that what cost somebody like, remember like, like in the Republican primaries, like somebody just sniffled too much and people decided he was weak? That was Trump. <laughs> oh, I thought the dude who sniffled a lot didn't win. Nope, that was Trump. He sniffled. He was the oh. cocaine sniffer. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Sorry. He did win. There was also that video that people thought that there was a little rock of coke falling out of his nose in one of them. Yeah. Oh, for like, sure he does coke. And he still won. The best coke. The hu- huge coke. Like, <laughs> like. Probably, his name is on the, the baggie. Just like... <laughs> He's like, it's the best Coke. It's not cut with anything. And it's just talcum powder. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Like off of like an embossed little engraved plate, like with his like name on it and everything. It's $1 bills he doesn't use for tips. Just ground up into a fine powder. (laughs) Oh, he's the worst. Do you ever wake up some days and you forget he's president? And then... Yeah, I actually thought about coming on this podcast and just letting us all let loose. Because like, is is there anything we can be more resentful and salty about than the fucking president right now? But then I'm in this mode right now where I'm trying to be like, ignore him. Yeah. Because I've decided he's not doing the job. So why pretend he has it? I think we can all go ahead and just do what you did and assume he lost. (laughs) (laughs) But due to a... Literally, this is literally what happened. Due to a quirk in our constitution, we have no president right now. Like, he lost, but we still have to, like, just sit around for four years and wait until we can choose someone else. That's the way I'm looking at it. Oh, my God. I love that. Yeah. I'm fine with that. And in the meantime, there's this really horrible television show that's on all the Mm -hmm. time, and I don't know why. And I hate it. And it feels exactly like it did when the Kardashians were at their height. So I'm like, whatever. I didn't pay attention to the Kardashians. Why do I have to pay attention to this dude? The real White Housewives of DC. Yeah, exactly. And he's just going to be on a constant disaster tour for the next three years. So it's not like he's going to do any actual work. The Burning Bridges tour. Yeah, exactly. The things are falling apart. Let me throw paper towels in it tour. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Um, Okay, so... Like the shittiest Oprah. (laughs) (laughs) You get paper towels. You don't get paper towels. (laughs) You get paper towels. You get a handshake. (sighs) Yeah, I would definitely agree with Donald Trump equals the shittiest Oprah. Like, it's definitely... (laughs) If we needed an antimatter Oprah to come into this world and destroy all the good work that she's done, it, he did. He did. That's so funny. I just read an article the other day that said, like, for a Democrat to win, our only hope mm-hmm. is to pick Oprah. Like, we have to pick someone who's mm-hmm. equally famous mm-hmm. and equally rich mm-hmm. because we've decided that we really care about fame and richness mm-hmm. as far as, like, in a presidential candidate. And, like, who else? I would totally we, vote for Oprah. Me too. We would yeah. get stuff. We would. Oh, for sure. And I think she would actually try, you know, cause, which is like the main component that I now look for in a president. The bar actually literally got lowered to the point where I just um, want to disqualify people who clearly aren't going to try. <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> that's it. She'd give the best speeches and you wouldn't even notice if she didn't really know what was going on. You'd be like, but I feel None inspired. None of them know what's going on, <laughs> though. Like the, 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 the tradition of presidents not knowing what the fuck is going on is long and historical and very proud. The tradition of them not knowing what to do about it, that's more alarming in recent. Oh. Mm. And hiring people around them who have no ability to even decide what to do because they have no qualifications. That's new. <laughs> We're living in a different time. We are. I'm about to go on a big old tangent about 
Andrew Johnson. We don't need to do that. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, this is interesting. <laughs> Let's not turn this into a boring This is really history. sober history. Yeah, <laughs> this is we can change the name sal- to Extra Dusty. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Extra Salty episode about all the presidents who fucked it up. Uh-huh. Going there's, all the way back to the beginning. Yeah, there's like six or seven of them. And that's just <laughs> post-slave owner. Anyway. Um... <laughs> Um, what were we talking about? Well, actually, your career as a journalist. Um, I like really <laughs> admire writing for everybody listening. You can find pieces by you like the mm-hmm. Austin Chronicle and the Statesman, right? Those are places you've been published? Not or? the Statesman. No. No. Um, uh, but the Chronicle, sure. And Austin Monthly, which is what I'm about, to, the, where I used to work. Ah. They published something of me posthumously. Yes, after they killed my career. <laughs> <laughs> they were kind enough to pu- publish something. It was a totally different. That was post-ownership change and everything. So some fences kind of got mended there. Um, but yeah. So anyway, I okay. So I moved um to austin because there was an opening for the editor-in-chief of austin monthly and i'd been wanting to make the jump to glossy lifestyle magazines because more money um i was getting older and that was more in my interest range than going out and endlessly covering people protesting a lack of bike lanes uh it's just (laughs) it's important work but it gets old um and um I just kind of thought this was an exciting opportunity to go to what is in the magazine world, a mid market town, but in like the, uh, kind of cultural world of America, a big town. So it's yeah. like the perfect mm-hmm. blend of like, okay, there's a lot going on here. It's super fun. It's the place to be, but as a media market, I can actually crack in here and who knows, you know, maybe go from here to the Texas monthly or from here to LA or New York or whatever. I had big dreams coming out. Uh, so I came out, nailed the interview um and everything and they were like yeah yeah you're you're in i'm like sweet i got my dream job like the job i'd worked for 20 years went back to school for um like really was the thing i'd been pursuing my whole life was to have my name at the top of a column in the masthead um because like literally i was that nerdy kid who used to open up the new yorker to the masthead and actually read all the names and dream of one day being there with the names and then i'd go read the articles or look at the cartoons or whatever but i was just like <laughs> who are the coolest people in the magazine world today you know <laughs> um yeah and i actually wrote letters to the atlantic hoping one day to get it published just so i could say that my name was my byline was in the atlantic even though i was just in the letters to editor and then they stopped having letters to the editor in the print edition and that should have been in retrospect a sign that my career path was a dead end anyway um <laughs> so what okay so i got hired and I was training with the uh, previous editor-in-chief who was on her way out. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was really cool. And she had kind of been presiding over this magazine for a decade, kind of took it from a nothing rag to a fairly well-respected glossy monthly with decent circulation. You could find it at any HEB. Like, it wasn't a mysterious magazine. This was a pretty premier thing. And she was showing me kind of the editorial calendar, which is the standard uh, schedule of stories you put on the cover every year, like, mm-hmm. oh, this is our best doctor's issue and this is our welcome to Austin issue, whatever. Mm-hmm. Walking me through all those pieces and then like there's room for creativity around that and stuff. And my first couple assignments was to reformat the front of the magazine, which was just a hodgepodge of tidbits and interesting thingies and sort of a holdover from the Maxim magazine revolution of just like don't write anything longer than 30 words. 
and you know things things had progressed beyond that and it was time to like start putting a little bit more effort that's int- i didn't even yeah. know there was a standard for that is that like when you look at a magazine mm-hmm. at like a grocery store you see like sex 10 ways to turn oh. your man on or like on no, Cosmo the, or something like that yeah that that's the cover blurbs is older than that that goes back to like the 70s is ah. when that sort of came in but in the 90s maxim magazine made a fortune um out of nowhere in just writing things that were tweet length before twitter existed <laughs> and people and realized oh my god people really like not having to spend time reading <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it became all the rage and pretty much every magazine that was searching for circulation boosts put a little uh, uh category together where it was just those little quick hit tidbits and stuff like that um and then the internet came along and basically became that and so it sort of lost its its power but before the internet came along this was the closest experience you'd get to twitter or facebook is just open up the front of some magazine and learn like 19 things at once Mm -hmm. you weren't even thinking about (laughs) right um so that needed a refresh and i was working on that and starting to get to know the staff. It was a really small staff, and everything was going along swimmingly. And this was just, this is the the parallel story that I need to explain my resentment. This was exactly about the same time, I think it was the exact same month, that Conan O'Brien took over The Tonight Show. Oh. Which, as a comedy nerd, was also a big deal. Because, mm. like, Jay Leno, you know, and Conan O'Brien <laughs> is one of my heroes. And I was like, this is great. Like, The Tonight Show is going to be relevant again. And, like, it's going to be exciting to, like, watch it every night. And, uh, you know, life's gone good. And I moved to Austin. I got my dream job. Like, you know, things really do work out when you like the same things I like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So three months later, I start to get weird feedback from the editor in chief who's still there. Like she keeps postponing her move on date. Okay. Yeah. yeah. She's still there in the office and in the masthead, I'm still just called managing editor, interim editor or something. And I'm like, what's up with this? And she calls me into her office after putting, we'd put two issues to bed and sits down and says, I think you lied in your interview. What? What? Right. Um, I don't think you're up to this job. And I'm not certain I'm leaving this magazine in good hands. Right. And I hadn't even put together a cover package yet. I had only been through two cycles. I had just learned the deadline. And I've been coming out of weeklies. I was very upfront that I haven't done a monthly before. It's a whole new world to learn the, you know, rhythms mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. Um, but she was criticizing me for like not copy editing hard enough or it's just really weird, really messing with my mind. Cause it wasn't feedback. Like your work needs to improve in this way and that way and this way and that way. It was literally like, you're a liar. You don't have talent. You aren't, you don't belong in this industry. You're not good enough as a human being. She was gas writing you. She was. <laughs> she was totally like, yeah, it was the opposite of a gaslight. It was like gas darkening me. <laughs> she was just gassing me in a gas chamber of her <laughs> office. Jesus Christ. Right. So I like immediately, I, and I liked her. So I was like, whoa, I'm going to take all this to heart. You know, like, okay. Like you thought you guys were cool. And I thought we were she cool. just came at you out of nowhere. It sort of crumbled into this zone where she just went full on. And I, I'm a trusting kind of person. So I was just like, okay, what can I, you know, just give me what to do to, to make it better. In the next six months, she cancels her new job that she got in South Carolina, stays on, like keeps the editor-in-chief role, and I'm like, okay. But she's still like, I'm still going to go at the end of the year. I I have to. I have commitments in South Carolina. Um, And we're struggling through, but every issue, it's a beratement of like what went wrong and what decisions I made that were bad. And And it wasn't like, oh, this decision was bad because... 
our audience is looking for this or that or anything concrete I can hold to just you're insane. And I don't understand what you're where you're coming from. And she keeps going back to like, this is not the person that we thought we were hiring. And I made a huge mistake. Jesus Christ. Which I didn't know how to react to that, right? Yeah. Did you ever ask her like, in what way did I misrepresent myself? I did. Yeah. What what would she say? She's, she said, I don't, you just, I had doubts about the copy editing test and now they're like made true. And I'm like, that's what I was really good at. Like that was the thing that I excelled at in my master's class is like, reshaping a story and so she was literally attacking the underpinnings of what i knew to do i did well and what Mm -hmm. i've been praised for doing well my whole life so it was a real mind fuck because i was like did i just leap to the big time and find out i don't have it or is this woman insane (laughs) and i was leaning on the first because i was like you know let's not assume somebody who can competently run a magazine for a decade is insane it doesn't know what she's talking about right let's anyway um and then she gave me a couple writing assignments and I'm like, well, yeah, okay, I can write. <laughs> I've got, not. I'm, this isn't as a brag, this is just background. I've got awards for writing. I can write. If there's one thing I can do here, I'll write. And I'll write my way out of this and they'll go, whatever. We made a, an iffy decision about the editor, but at least we got a good writer out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she turns my writing to shreds and reorganizes everything. And then she comes behind my back with freelancers and re-edits pieces behind my back. What? Destroys my relationship with the main columnist, Dale Dudley. And then she, and then I start to find out like the previous two people she hired to replace her were chased out within three months. And then I started noticing that our assistant editor was crying every other week. And I was just like, holy shit, this place is actually awful. And then we started going through art directors because they didn't want to work with her anymore. And I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa. At the end of about seven months, I looked around. I was like, no, no, no. It was option two. She's insane. Yeah. I landed somehow in an insanity house. And I think what happened was she didn't really want to go. She changed her mind about wanting to leave. Mm. And the re- the moment I made that realization was the moment the whole Jay Leno thing blew up. And Jay Leno was like, I'm going to go back and I'm going to put on the Tonight Show in front of the Tonight Show and did his one hour in front of Conan and all of that business started up. Two more months go by and then I get called into the publisher's office and I'm at my wits end. I'm just like, I can't work with her. I'm getting feedback I can't use. I literally need to start going to therapy mm. to like just make sure I'm not going insane. That, But I can do this job. Just give me the job that you gave me. And the publisher's like, no, actually, we're going to demote you to managing editor. And, you know, they cut my salary for like by 40%. Jesus. Yeah. That's a oh, that's a big chunk. So the next day I came back in. And, and when you moved somewhere to do I moved like, to do this. So you had like a house and it's everything set up around, I'm going to make X amount yeah. of money. Mm-hmm. This is what I need to live. Exactly. I, I worked my whole life for this job. And they literally took it away from me. Shit. And so I went in the next day and said, <laughs> I quit. I can't. That's it. I'm out. I'm out at the end of this issue. This isn't acceptable. In fact, I don't quit. You fired me. And I walked out and I I immediately called the unemployment office. That same day, Conan O'Brien released his infamous People of Earth, I Quit the Tonight Show letter for the exact same reasons. And I was just like, what world is this so weird? Like Conan got his dream job and got ripped away by Jay Leno and I had my own evil Jay Leno. This is so weird. Um, anyway, and then so I did, I collected unemployment and the unemployment office, the, 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 there was a lawsuit and like I was proved right that they actually didn't, I didn't quit. They fired me and offered me a worse job. So oh. That doesn't count. So I get to collect. 
Um, things fell apart. The old editor-in-chief did move to South Carolina. Two weeks later, hired somebody else for the job and then remotely micromanaged her for three months from South Carolina. Jeez. So weird. Anyway, for the next three years, this was the story I couldn't shut the fuck up about. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of weird bringing up now because I think I've had a good like three or four years to simmer down and let it go in my life (laughs) because I've achieved some other things that I'm proud of. But man, do I still harbor a ton of resentment because my dream job was right there in the tip of my fingers, in the palm of my hand, and I got pushed out of it, and there was nowhere else to go in Austin, and I didn't want to move again, and I literally haven't done magazine editing since, and it breaks my heart, and it's that bitch's fault, and I'm still mad about it. Like, I still can't, I don't even know, like, if there was, if she had points uh, that were correct, and if I was not up to the job. Even if that's true, it's that bitch's fault. Because yeah. <laughs> the way she handled it destroyed me and destroyed my confidence in what I knew I was born to do for like years. For years. It's only recently I've been able to like even pitch freelance stories again. Is The Devil Wears Prada the movie based off of your life? No, it was with a, worse with a, than that. This is Austin. <laughs> like it's not a fashionable situation. Right? Yeah, the perks were like, oh, I get to go to ACL. <laughs> not like, oh, I get to fly to fashion week in france on all expenses paid also the offices and magazines are never that big I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> they always get that wrong they're small <laughs> even at vogue um but yeah i'm just stuck on her saying like first of all accusing you of lying i have yeah. been um she's like you lied on your resume i'm like call my references she's like i did most of them didn't answer i'm like that's because magazines go out of business yeah a lot <laughs> i have my well i did have this one problem because my first job where i was editor-in-chief mm-hmm. uh yeah, the publisher might be in jail for beating up a hooker with a baseball bat. Hold, hold up. Where was this? <laughs> Where was this? Oof. I think he's still in jail, too, so I can tell this story. <laughs> do it, do it, do it, dish. It's my first real job out of college. Well, my second real job, my first job that I chose out of college. There was a porn mag in, like, just a, a free p- newsprint one in the post office. This is how 90s this story was. I was at the post office. <laughs> And I picked up a paper, newspaper porn rack (laughs) on the, cause on the cover was the Judds and I thought there was going to be an article about the Judds in it. And at the time I kind of liked the Judds. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I opened it up and like half of it was porn and the other half was the Judds and (laughs) everything in it was misspelled and like sloppy and shit. And I look at the masthead cause like I said, that's what I do. I'm a nerd. And I'm like, oh, there's a publisher, there's four salespeople, there's a sex columnist, there's a tattooed food critic, and there's no editor. And I'm like, well, that sounds like a job opening. <laughs> They're literally <laughs> flying without any editors. So I went to their office and I sat down and I said, you guys need an editor. And the publisher was this 350 pound X strip club magnet from Dallas. No, Houston. Yeah, he was from Houston. Um, was sitting in his chair, big red beard. Name was Gary. Gary, Gary was like, "What do you mean I need an editor?" I'm like, okay, well, here I got the latest issue, and I had marked it up with red ink, like a copy editor, and it showed him all the yeah. That's bold. That's a bold move. I like it. What do I have to lose? It's a porn mag. Right? I didn't even know if they paid their employees. I was just like, I want in. This is a good stepping stone to like get in. And at the po- time, Denver scene was popping. Modern Drunkard was born there. This was the Onion's third um, uh, branch out after milwaukee mm. it was milwaukee new york and then denver mm-hmm. so like this was the place to get in on the ground floor that uh, boing boing was born there not the website the zine that pre- pre- preceded it that 
published Matt Groening for the first time. Like it, mm. it was a hotbed of zine stuff. So if you get it on a zine there, you, you can make Matt a name Groening, for yourself. Matt like yeah. The Simpsons? Yeah. This is old. Go on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that all happened decade before me. But like, I'm just saying like there was, it was known, Denver was known as a place to put ah, your foot in the door. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's at that point, it was pretty much an incubator. Exactly. Because it was off the radar nationally, you do good work there and like only people who really knew zines would catch you and then you'd be discovered. Yeah. You know, it was kind of like Seattle pre, um, pre Pearl Jam and Nirvana, mm. you know, something like that yeah. where like you knew this, our magazine scene was going to blow up. And it, the only reason it didn't was because magazines themselves uh, blew up, disappeared. Um, anyway, evolved way off track. Yeah. <laughs> evolved. <laughs> so I'm trying to get a job with this guy and, and I show him and he's like, oh, I, uh, I told the art director to run spell check. <laughs> 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 and so he basically hired me to keep the art director in line to run spell check because he didn't know anything else about it. And I was like, well, I, I also have some ideas um, for like, because what are you guys doing here? He's like, well, they started as a porn magazine strictly and now they're trying to go legit. <laughs> like trying to go straight, get some of that sweet, like real business money. Um, and it was still all the advertisers were motorcycle uh, shops and tattoo parlors. But, yeah, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, those were starting to become respectable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that was about when things started to turn around and everybody was getting a tattoo and all that crap. Um, so anyway, uh, I brought in all the, then I, he eventually started paying me. Um, and I started bringing in all these like cool ideas and cool writers, a whole bunch of Hunter S. Thompson wannabes because those were lying around everywhere like dead flies <laughs> and sent them out on weird assignments and we started to get some steam up. And then I swear to God, I invented Twitter um, <laughs> because what I did is at the bottom of every page in what the footer, uh, what's called the folio because it has the page number in the corner, mm -hmm. I would write a different little phrase on every single page. And what this did was it forced people who caught that to look at every single page in the magazine. And then we lower bottoms. We, we pulled off all of our ads toward the bottom of the page and we got better ad response because people started to learn to read from the bottom up. They'd read, they'd start with the tweets. And that's all I was doing was just writing tweets. But before anybody else, and then there was only about 140 characters, right? Um, that's so, genius. Yeah, it was genius. Thank you. <laughs> it's really smart. <laughs> it was super genius. Yeah, I, I had so many good ideas in that magazine. Um, so yeah, I was putting it together. He started paying me. And then like we had this crisis where the original porn backers uh, backed out. And we had to sell ourselves to a, an old internet money guy who made a kung fu movie whose name was Trig Veloda. And he was six foot eight and had like blonde hair like the sidekick from Coach. And he had... <laughs> <laughs> one torn pectoral muscle from a poorly planned out weight training regime. <laughs> so he just sort of had this floppy tit that was right at eye level for everybody. And he wore super tight shorts, like super tight short shorts. And you would assume that testicles would hang out of it, but there were apparently none there. And uh, yeah, he was just like Ken doll on the bottom, one tit up top, long white hair. Like, and he was totally full of himself, but he was a millionaire. So he bought us. That sounds like defunct Fabio. Yeah, he was. He was Jesus. kind of he was kind of like Fabio as if he was filtered through the the Habsburg's incestuous gene pool. <laughs> I, I like how it didn't start to sound like prostitution until the porn backers backed out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he bought us, he brought in his troglodyte lawyer friend who was basically like the thing that sat on Jabba the Hutt's tail, except with bangs. <laughs> and she just basically ordered us all around monetarily. 
the visual I have is great. Right. But we had to form an LLC because the previous owners had just let it all hang out and we're just doing it all like liability. Who needs to worry about lawsuits in the porn industry? <laughs> he wanted to do it right. Form an LLC. In order to do that, you need at least three owners. So they wrote me in as an owner, a minority, minority owner. So I've gone from like walking in and working for free to being a 5% owner in a growing magazine at 21. Wow. I was like, hell yeah. I'm on my way. Everything's working out. No. Because there was a cash infusion with the purchase. And Garhuni decided that the best thing he could do was take the sales team on a bonding field trip to Burning Man. Oh. And not today's Burning Man with Instagram and Paris Hilton and Silicon Valley people. (laughs) 2000 Burning Man with nothing but strategic resource laboratories, a lot of unchecked gasoline and nothing but drugs. And this was still (laughs) when the press wasn't even allowed to go. Because I was like, all right, take your little retreat to Burning Man, but maybe we can get like the first exclusive photos of Burning. Like we could have a national scoop because you weren't allowed to yeah do that there at that time any recording equipment was completely forbidden this is before smartphones and that was impractical Mm. um and they wouldn't let us do that which was like a major blow like they came back like yeah we we couldn't get permission i'm sorry anyway the only thing that came out of that trip was that gary and the entire sales staff came back addicted to everything just oh good fucking everything And so there was nothing, but we just, all we did was listen to Tool, and then they would go into his office and watch horrifying anal-related porn shit all day long. Not like anal, like having sex anally, but just things happening around in and out of asses that was too hard to watch, but they needed to watch it (laughs) to keep the meth high, you know, authentic. And yeah, like I, there's just nothing but, and I'm holding the whole shit together. I'm literally delivering the newspaper. I was running a route to deliver it because we couldn't keep enough delivery drivers on because like the paycheck stopped going out and like it just started to fucking fall apart. And we were so close to like the cusp of like, I actually got written up in the competing alternative weekly because they were starting to worry about it. Really? Worry about us. And that's like still one of the proudest things I've got is, is the Westward, which is still the surviving like Austin Chronicle style has a big old piece on me threatening their business. And like literally a month later, <laughs> we were gone. It was just, it all went poof. Um, and I ended up having to quit that job because they wouldn't pay any of my writers for like three months. And I was like, I held that issue hostage. I'm like, I'm not putting another issue out till you pay the writers. Yeah. Um, and they're like, well, you're fired. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go home. And they're like, well, how about tomorrow? Cooler heads prevail. We'll get back and talk about this. <laughs> I was like, yeah, fine. I'll come back in tomorrow at like 9 a.m. Okay, cool. So that tomorrow was September 11th, 2001. <gasps> oh. What? Yeah. So I didn't go in because I turned on the news and I was like, well, I got to watch this. Um, and I like called them about one o'clock and I was like, yeah, I assume the meeting got canceled because holy shit, but you guys want to try maybe tomorrow? I mean, how are you? you know, everybody's closing every tall building in America and all that shit. Yeah. And they were like, no, you didn't show up for your meeting. We're suing. So they sued me (laughs) for my 5% ownership stake. And they like basically made me under penalty of like being liquidated of all my assets, signed an agreement to just hand over my ownership. And I just wanted out at that point. So I did and I signed it and I handed it to the troglodyte lawyer. Mm -hmm. And then three years later, the IRS came out for me for back taxes because I wasn't paying income tax as an owner. Yeah. On a losing enterprise, like we were losing money, so I didn't owe income tax. 
And they were like, well, prove you're an owner. And I furnished the like little bill of sale that said I sold my ownership. And they looked at that and they were like, there's nothing legal about this. What? <laughs> so like I... they had illegally been treating me like an owner, even though I had like no certificates or anything. And the whole, they could tell from the language that I just been defrauded of any payout that they owed me. And I owed the IRS $10,000. So they soaked me for 10 grand and yeah, they still claim to this day that they did nothing wrong. And I'm like, you guys totally used a 21 year old naive kid to like shadily fund. Anyway, what the magazine business guys, it's great. I miss it. Shit. <laughs> I don't resent I, them though. Really? I would. No, because look at all. I mean, at least I got good stories out of that. Nothing interesting happened at Austin Monthly. That place was boring as fuck. You have a numeric value on your resentment. You have $10,000. <laughs> Of resentment. You can put a number to that shit. I'm hot for you. This is some bullshit. I'm really upset. I, I, this is also a long time ago. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is, this all got wrapped up by 2003. Did you have to pay $10,000? Yeah, I paid it. Where'd it come from? I, I, at that point, (laughs) at that point, I'd gotten a decent job. Okay. And (laughs) I'm just thinking with my pocket, I'm like, someone at $10,000, I'd just be like, take me to jail. I guess I can say this because my, my first wife probably doesn't even know my name at this point. So yeah, my first wife was rich. So like we made it work. I think we ended up selling some bank of America stock that her family bought in 1908 or some shit like for like huge. Yeah, we were fine. But yeah, then I ran to Australia because I was like, I don't know what's going on and I need to like learn how to be a real magazine editor instead of just faking it through the porn world. And uh, (laughs) I have so many stories that place though. Coming into work the next day to find like my my desk chair with a sign on it saying, do not use, I promise I'll clean it. (laughs) And I went to the photo editor who to this day is one of the world's most famous bondage uh, photographers worked for Larry Flint. Um, that's nice. Yeah. He, he was uh, an interesting guy still is. Um, anyway, <laughs> I went to him. I was like, what's up? And he's like, Oh, I had this Icelandic girl just kind of throw herself at me and try to get into the porn industry. So I had a test shoot on your chair and I'm like, test shoot. that's okay. No. And he's not like that. It wasn't like a casting couch situation. Oh, um, and I said, but that's okay. A test shoot. Like, so her butt was on my chair, whatever. I don't, care i wore shorts on the chair you know what i mean like yeah there's skin cells on it it's a chair i can handle it he goes no she was doing some masturbation stuff and i didn't think she'd get that into it but she did and she kind of squirted on it (laughs) (laughs) does iceland have the the gushers the geysers there yes it does it's full of geysers (laughs) yeah apparently she was full of seismic activity like what it's like you i like kai's face yeah because this is it's it's, i'm still trying to process when women ejaculate uh, no 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 not not that part okay just not that part not that part i mean i know how vaginas work in theory um (laughs) not in real world practice i haven't observed them in the wild nor will i uh but i'm just like like it sounds like everyone that you worked with was like the people that the characters from like entourage were based off of or something oh it was real bro-y but it was also full of sweethearts so like the tattooed food critic oh. um he's still a good guy oh. um he was our main delivery driver and he would go out there he was a, a an ex-professional wrestler um who was six foot eight named bobby black and tattooed actually he still did some backyard wrestling and stuff and what we would do is we'd send him to five-star restaurants all over denver and he would walk in and just review it in his cut-off sleeves with all of his tattoos <laughs> and his like mutton chops and just act like he was basically Anthony Bourdain with no food background. <laughs> <laughs> how, how 
thorough were these food interviews? So the, the hot dog was good. No, dude, the it's food standard reviews. Standard hot dog. That was like our best feature. Like the food reviews were fantastic because really? they were so down to earth. He was like, yeah, I don't know exactly how to describe oysters, but I guess they taste like slime that you don't mind eating. Kind of like <laughs> snot if you love yourself. Like he was. Honestly, that's not wrong. He was wrong. a fucking poet. Yeah. He was like, it's snot if you love yourself. I remember that line. <laughs> That's genius. It is genius. He was actually, but he needed a lot of, like, he would say this stuff, he'd kind of dictate it, and then I'd type it up, because he wasn't like a writer writer. So it took a lot of, I was really proud of that. That was like, edit, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. You get to this magazine, and this bitch is like, you don't know how to edit a story. I'm like, I transcribed Tattooed Food Critic into award-winning gold, okay? <laughs> oh. We had a we had a stripper slash escort who wrote a sex advice column that was still, I think, better than anything Dan Savage ever did. I mean, we, it was a, fucking great magazine wait 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 wait. how we got here is you said that the person who ran this is in jail for like oh yeah for baseball oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah so after <laughs> we need that. which now with all the details not remotely shocked actually no no uh, yeah there's it pretty much tells itself from there after the magazine <laughs> fell apart he started an escort service and then kept doing as much math as he possibly could and uh math plus escorts you know disagreements about money baseball bats you do the math Damn. So I believe Christ. he's still in jail to this day because I think he got a good 20-year sentence. I do think that she died. Oh. I can't remember if it was flat-out murder or just attempted murder, but it was it was bad. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Gary fucking Haney. So you worked for an actual pimp? He became a pimp later. Pre-pimp. He was Yeah, a pre-pimp. <laughs> pre-pimp. Does does that mean that uh, th- I wonder if that means that there was a, fer- a phase that was like pimp puberty, like yeah, pimperty, pimperty. I- he was a treatment. Oh man, talk about sexual harassment violations. He used to drag me into his office and show me things that nobody should remember. Goatsy, yes, goatsy? like goatsy. Whenever you happens. said the anal thing, I was, What's like, I was like, the- no, goatsy was like invented um, during this era. So it's a yeah. thing. Is it a noun? It's, is it an adjective? It's an old, old internet meme that Trigger is basically for anyone who doesn't like gross things. Oh, <laughs> no, like we getting- describing it's not as gross as, as it's what, true. looking at it. It's just a man stretching his ass way wide. With both hands. Okay, so... But but he made me look at it. He dragged me into his office to look at it, and I was like, I'm not interested in this. And in fact, I think he actually ruined several relationships in the future for me. Talking about pre-pimping, because I ain't been anywhere near anal sex since then, and I'm pretty sure I lost at least two girlfriends over that. Oh, oh like, just really, why? Like, how, how why? Like, like think, of, think of, like, softball? when... softball? Oh, I was gonna say, think of when Looney Tunes would like open up. Ah! <laughs> no, see, I was. That's gonna... all, folks. And like, yeah. Pig would come out. Think, think Looney Tunes. Actually, I'm pretty sure that is a remix of that <laughs> <laughs> meme that Porky Pig comes out and says, oh, "That's all, folks." God. Oh wow, wow! That mm-hmm. is, sounds like an interesting. Wow, you have had some what crazy a wild bosses. ride. <laughs> I've had some good jobs. What a wild ride! Trying to think about there's other shit from that job. This fa- I, I won't think of it all. The meanest thing I've ever had a boss say to me uh, was at Neiman Marcus. She was a cunt. She was awful. She was the worst. She was the worst because here's what she would do. She would like decide that a counter wasn't performing well, so she would take whoever was the strongest and was selling the most, mm-hmm. and then go break them. And like that was her thing. And I, I had like the top sales numbers. I said, I need to have a meeting with you, thinking I'm going to get a reward. Mm-hmm. And she was like, Do you feel good about yourself every day? Yes. And I was like, um, What? She's like, Do you feel good about yourself? Mm-hmm. Because when you applied to this job, you said you could do $10,000 and you've only done six. 
Are you proud of yourself? Like, I don't, because you're you're walking around here smiling like you think you're doing a good job, and I'm just confused who you think right. you are. She's fucking Alec Baldwining you. Oh, it was the worst. Yeah, I was so, like, I went home and I just cried and cried and mm-hmm. cried. Mm-hmm. Like I, I had to like close the register. Like she got me ten minutes before close. Like I remember like getting snot on the money because I couldn't <laughs> stop crying. There's a reason people say money is the dirtiest thing you'll touch. <laughs> it's, just, it's because broken employees cry on and it. The best part is I, I had know, to, sometimes office chairs. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, uh. I, I had a closing shift followed by an opening shift. So like I didn't sleep the night before and came in the next day like, who oh, am I? So you had to handle your own oysters. <laughs> yeah, oh. I, did, I did. I had to handle my own oysters. Like that was money I snotted on that like oh, crusted together fossilized dollar bills at Neiman Marcus Northport. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I think probably the worst job that I ever had, I, wor- I used to work for an insurance company. I uh-huh. was in the claims department, which mm. only it takes a certain kind of person to do insurance claims because everybody has insurance but nobody knows why they have insurance (laughs) they pay for it without question because that's what the bank says they have to have and then when shit goes bad they're like why doesn't this do anything and it's like because it didn't burn and i did house fires and explosions i had to do house fire and explosion claims i was dealing with people who lost literally their most valuable asset or all of their assets and sometimes also family members and i was 23 at the time now i started working at that job with like a group of people like there were like seven of us that all started at the same time we lost one to attrition but then like the rest of them were working like the wind and hail claims where it was like oh the wind blew real bad and now some of my shingles are loose and everything's leaking here's your check for three thousand dollars go fix your roof have a nice life mm-hmm. i was dealing with like here's your check for one hundred fifty-two thousand dollars. i'm so tired <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, after I had been working there for like two years, like raise time cycled around at the beginning of the year, and uh, I was already getting paid significantly less than what all of the other like complex claims examiners were getting paid. Mm-hmm. Raise time rolled around, and I'd been doing this for some time, and like I was like, ha- like you know, like like imagine like that old haggard guy that's in his office with like a calculator doing his bills, just being like, I don't know how I'm going to pay for my wife's surgery. I was like that. <laughs> sitting in this office and then they give me the paper and they're like this is what your annual rate they added six dollars and 83 cents onto my yearly salary (laughs) (laughs) they were like but is this good though and then all the people with the paper folded down like i don't know if you can handle it (laughs) and then they were like do you want to keep this paper and i was like i do not (laughs) and then because uh all of the other people who I worked with, they'd gotten their license or something like one month or like two weeks, something like that, like between mm-hmm. two weeks and a month before I did to where their uh, start as being like a trainee to an actual like claims examiner was slightly before mine and slightly before the cutoff consideration period for those raises, which is why mine was so little mm. to where then all of the people who were doing those wind and hail claims were getting paid more than I was <laughs> for having to pay for buildings being blown up. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I was already being paid $11,000 less than what I should have been being paid. And then they were like, well, listen, now that you're doing those fires, though, like, we just gave you the trainee to normal examiner Mm -hmm. raise. We don't want to give you another raise right now because we think that it would look bad. And I was like, I don't give a shit if it looks bad. Uh, I had to talk to a woman today who... Uh, lost two children and one of the firefighters was a volunteer firefighter that's also their gym coach at school 
I've had a long day. I would like some money, please. So you never gave it. So then I threatened to quit. Yeah. And I, they were like, well, I mean, we can't do anything about it. So then I sent in my two weeks notice and then they accelerated my two weeks notice the same day and walked me out of the building. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had that happen a number of times. That happened to me last week. Did it? I quit a job and they were like, well, actually like they like had me on the schedule to come in and do some appointments. I'm not going to like name names. Mm-hmm. And then I get there and like, well, actually we hired someone now. So they're going to take your appointments. And yeah. I, like, oh. I, I kind of like that when that happens. though. it's a bit of a blessing. I know they're taking money out of your pocket, but at the same time, it's like, once you say no, I'm done. It's I was nice ready to, to walk flip out. Some tables. Were I, you? Yeah. Just like steal a hairdryer. Like just, just, I was mad. My <laughs> thing is I had planned it to where I would work the two weeks and then I would end the week before the week of Christmas. Then, still get my paycheck like mm-hmm. at the beginning of next year oh to yeah where i would be able to not have to worry or panic over the holidays and the turn of the new year and they fuck they that cut plan you up. off yeah they fuck that plan up they would not even let me take my shit out of my desk they were like we'll box it up and mail it to you karina have you ever had like a really satisfying like quit like like a really good like fuck y'all i'm out kind of thing oh awesome mm-hmm. that was real satisfying yeah did it feel good a little that bit that felt real yeah that was definitely a take this shittier job than the one you gave me and shove it a moment <laughs> um uh, let's see oh my god i've been fired and quit so many times i mean honestly the keeping the issue hostage on september 10th 2001 even though that was particularly <laughs> bad timing felt real satisfying <laughs> Um, let's see. I quit my job in Boulder because <laughs> I happened to go drink absinthe with my boss the night before at a Bjork concert and he let me in on a little secret that I wasn't going to get promoted like I thought I would. So I quit in advance and threw that in my boss's face because she thought she was keeping me along by buttering me up with this promotion because she knew my job sucked. She was like, well, you know, just keep blocking away and you may get this promotion. And I, like once that veil was torn off, I was like, see ya. Hmm. Um, Let's see. What else? No, I mean, yeah. Those all just feel good by proxy. Yeah, yeah. I've got a lot of feel good quitting story. Quitting feels great. It does. Quitting and on some level, firing, good. if it's timed well, can even feel great. Yeah. Um, doing here, right? Yeah, no, I just hit my watch on the table, so that's there. <laughs> quitting Neiman's was so satisfying because oh, they, I put, bet. they put me on like a 90 day like plan. They were like, mm-hmm. um, well, what we're going to do is every 30 days, we're going to have a meeting with you to discuss your progress. <gasps> so. Between the first day, and the, do you have a story? A quick one? Uh, I don't know if I should tell it. It's about my very previous employer. Do it. I think I'm still under a confidentiality agreement. Okay. Don't okay. don't risk it. I'm not going to risk okay, it. All yeah. I'm going to say is that the whole 90-day plan thing triggered something for me. I'll tell you off the air. Ooh, Please yeah. do. Because it's a good one. <laughs> so they bring me in the meeting for the first, like, so, so Jasmine, um, you've had a week to prepare. What have you decided to do? Mm-hmm. Um, what have you decided to do to improve your performance? I actually have a great plan to improve my performance. I'm quitting. No, exactly. Exactly. I've done that move. That move is the best move. Yeah. In the yes. 10 days, I um, went on a couple job interviews and I'm really looking forward to leaving. Thank you. Exactly. Oh, it felt so good. Yeah. You know where my performance is going to really improve? Elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Stuck okay, on that. I don't. Okay, I don't have a good like quitting story. Like I quit a, a job that I was working retail on a Black Friday once, and like threw the <laughs> keys at him. That was real good. Oh, that you threw the keys. Good. But yeah, I was just like, here's your keys, bye, bitch. Like I was gone. But mm. I got fired the, once, and the keys were in my purse, so I had to drive back up and give them back. Ooh, the the <laughs> best thing that I had though was a hire after a fire. Because after I got cut off from the insurance company, I actually went and started doing uh, file review 
for one of the engineering companies that that employer used to hire on a regular basis. So whenever they got like the done by, reviewed by, my mm. name was on it. <laughs> and I just, I knew that it would go across people's desk and they had to check that stuff and that it would be there. And then they would be like, <laughs> and it would just, I knew that it would leave that uncomfortable residue. And that's, it's the long con for me. It felt good. There's a, there's a story of a boss of mine at a previous employer. Um, after he quit, we had this time capsule that was built for this com- the company's like big anniversary. They had a big anniversary. So they built this really beautiful time capsule and it was like made out of solid state steel and like made to withstand like being buried underground for another 30, 40 years or whatever. And they filled it with memorabilia from the first, you know, 30, 40 years of the company's history. But they just didn't get around to burying it. <laughs> so it was sitting in our department, just kind of up there. And my boss realized on the day he quit, like right before he went to his exit interview, that you could just unscrew the lid <laughs> and put whatever you wanted inside. <laughs> Did he shit in it? No. Oh, hi. Oh, he did. What part of your brain is shitting livid? Like he, he printed out. He printed out a, a photoshopped, hilarious picture of one of the vice presidents, like just kind of photoshopped and not like a gross nude anything, like but just like a funny thing. And then on the back, he wrote, "This place is a shambles," and he stuffed it in there. <laughs> and it's in there right under the plug, so we know that when they first open. <laughs> In 40 years, the first thing they're going to find... Oh, that's wonderful. ...is this goofy-looking guy on a horse and it's saying this place is in shambles. <laughs> that's wonderful. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, hey, we always like to end the episode by uh, asking <laughs> our guests to give a little bit of a piece of advice. So, uh, would you happen to have any advice for anyone who's looking to get into journalism or magazine writing or just writing in general and how to mm. be smart about it, I guess, and not get caught in that sort of situation? <laughs> Um, yeah, my, my advice to, to people who want to break in, and I've had to give that talk at like conferences and stuff to young minds, and, and I always give the same extremely disappointing answer, <laughs> uh, and that is be good at writing. Um, it's, it's seriously like uh, all the other advice you're going to get is just full of helium, and uh, you're going to get you're going to get gigs or not based on whether or not you're good at writing um, for the most part. You can scam your way into internships. You can sometimes scam your way into a low-paying like kind of staff position, Mm -hmm. but you can't scam your way into Mm -hmm. making a living at this as a writer unless you're a good writer. So whatever you have to do to be a good writer, that's what you have to do to be a magazine writer. That's what you have to do to be a novel writer. That's what you have to... There's no magic formula to it. It's kind of like comedy. You know, we can give a lot of cool advice on like how to like not be a jerk and how not to burn bridges. But at the end of the day, be funny is the only thing that really matters. Mm -hmm. So now if you want to be a magazine editor, all you have to do is just reach deep down inside of you and find that little tiny voice that hates everything and pull it to the surface just enough to make you critical and try to make everything better. But please, whatever you do, don't pull it so closely to the surface that you ruin someone's life like that fucking bitch did. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for being part of the show. Really Thank appreciate you. I had a really lot, I had a great time. Yeah, this was a really fun episode. I'm really glad that you joined us. Yeah. Uh, again, this is uh, Karina Magyar joining us today. Uh, if anybody wanted to follow up with you, where would they be able to do that? Social media? What would you like to plug? <laughs> I'm, I'm terrible on Twitter. You can find that <laughs> at Karina the Magyar. Uh, and I, almost everything I post on Facebook is public, so you don't have to friend request me, strangers. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, and thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, iTunes has actually made it even easier for you to leave reviews. Now you don't even have to write anything. You just give a tap on the stars, but it helps other people find us. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.